Welcome to the latest Pink podcast in the Pink Elephant podcast series, dedicated to leading the way in IT management best practices. Hello, and welcome to today's Pink podcast. Continuing with part two of ITIL in a heartbeat is Bill Irvine. Service support modeling, we're into the processes. Incident problem change, release, and configuration management. The operational processes, uh, often called the sequential processes, because typically they work in sequence. You think of the service desk, uh, the one function here, being the place that everybody calls, single point of contact, access point into IT, front door of IT, however you want to say it. We have management tools up in the top left-hand corner. Hopefully, we're generating system incidents, not requiring everybody to raise them all the time. But as a point of marriage here, you can have your service desk incidents and your management incidents being considered together and incident management allows you to connect all of those customer reported incidents with your system incidents, and automatically you're in a better position to understand what might be causing some of the service disruptions out there. So incidents typically become problems, which typically generate a change request, and we bundle our change request to create releases. And to make all of that process interaction successful, we need a configuration management database, something underpinning all of this to make sure that the data that we specify in each of these records related to incident problem change and release is valid, accurate, and uh, updated on a regular basis. So that's the service support model, and what I'll do is I'll, I'll go through each of these processes in turn and just do some quick fire through there. Configuration management, a uh, couple of main goals here, but the one that uh, I like to talk about more is that it's a logical view. We can do inventory, that's asset management to a great extent. What we need is a logical view so that we can take that inventory and put another layer on top that says, logically, how are these things connected? Where are the relationships within our configuration management database? We know what our physical components do, but how about we connect those to where the applications are being consumed and we get to the point where we can see how customers are using these services that we've defined. So taking it up a level, or potentially two or three levels, to a logical system, a logical service, and then understanding our, our customer base on the outside of that. It's about identifying, maintaining, and controlling configuration items, which is literally anything you put in a CMDB. And that could be hardware, software, documentation, all kinds of records and physical asset information related to your environment, but also, like I said, logical definitions. You could have something in your CMDB that's called a service that is a configuration item, and lots of physical uh, devices connect to that logically using relationship mapping within the CMDB. The CMDB is considered the core, the heart, the engine, the, whichever analogy you want to use, but it's the piece that really drives uh, ITSM and uh, service support. Some of the activities here, obviously planning for the overall configuration management structure, uh, scoping out, coming up with the CI level, the attributes, the relationships involved. One of the things you need to look at when you're implementing a CMDB is making sure that you, you scope out how big it's going to be. If you start with a CMDB, I think, again, if you were in the tools session yesterday, we can discover everything. That's not the problem. It's controlling it is what the problem is. So you only put into your CMDB what you're prepared to control. 
And we'll talk about change management, how that happens a little later in the, the list here. But that's the area that you need to focus in on. Put into your CMDB what you're prepared to spend time controlling. Because if it's everything, it'll get out of scope fast. Identification and registration, finding those CIs, naming those CIs, implementing them into the CMDB, and then the control factor, like I mentioned, using a balance point between the CMDB and change management to make sure that change management is also always in control of what you're going to put into your CMDB. So managing the overall uh, definition of CIs and uh, the implementation and the updating of those based on change management. Status accounting, uh, making sure that you understand what state every CI is in at any given time. And then verification and audit, making sure verification is kind of more dynamic so that you do that in the workflow. Audit's more of a let's sit down and analyze what we've got on our database here. Those are our processes uh, kept in the, in the CMDB. In as much as you're defining your process documentation and your process documentation could live in the CMDB, then yes. Are there tools to support doing the verification on audit steps? Typically, the supplier that you get your CMDB product from, accepting that you're going to need some software to make the CMDB work, uh, typically has their version of doing uh, verification and audit, doing as-is state, to-be state analysis, and, and those kind of things, and doing compares from what's often called a baseline, which is, a, hey, this was the snapshot in time the last time it was accurate, and then what's changed since then. So they do a state analysis to do those audits, typically. Incident management to restore normal service operations as soon as possible. Not to fix it, not to fix the problem, to fix the customer or fix the user. So there's a mindset shift here, and there's where there's often confusion around incident and problem management is, by human nature, we want to go in and fix the problem. But we've got to hold back and fix the customer. We do the problem management, the root cause analysis, the drilling down later. What we're trying to do here is to minimize the impact on the business. Some of the activities, incident detection and recording, uh, where you're actually capturing the incidents either from a call or from those uh, management tools, that you're doing classification and initial support, putting it into the right category, prioritizing, coming up with addition, uh, in, initial incident matching and then looking at uh, other incidents uh, that may give you some clues as to what may be going wrong here. Uh, service request management, which is a, a category of incident, if you like, comes into play here where you might use service desk, uh, the service desk and the service request process to handle more uh, non-failure related incidents coming into the system. Uh, investigation diagnosis, resolution and recovery, incident closure, they're all fairly common activities that we're aware of. If everybody does this, the important ones here are ownership, monitoring and tracking and communication. The, the concept behind incident management here is that you're trying to produce a closed-loop support process. We're typically very good at documenting incidents. What we're not very good at is closing that loop and going back to customers or users and confirming that we actually did a good job of uh, resolving and closing. And as you know from your experience as a consumer-type customer, it feels better when somebody follows up afterwards to see whether you were happy with the service you got. So remember the communications. The concept here is that the service desk will always own all incidents, regardless of whether they raise them or not, because they're responsible for 
the incident management process overall. Problem management. To minimize the adverse impact of incidents and problems that are caused by errors. So we know we've got incidents. What we haven't established at this point is what caused them. But problem management allows us to drill down into that and get to the root cause of some of these things. Breaks down into three particular areas. You've got problem control, which is managing the problems, understanding, doing that root cause analysis to try and find out what caused it. Includes things like incident matching, saying, okay, let's take all of the incidents or symptoms that we have related to this, pull them all together, and really understand what the problem is. Establish what the problem is, come up with a better workaround so that you can feed that back to the service desk, and they're then better equipped if more of these things happen to uh, give uh, advice in the incident management process and resolution data uh, in the incident management process to the customer. So come up with why it failed, and typically what configuration item was at fault when it failed. Error control is taking that and saying, okay, what are we going to do about it? You've all heard the, the known error story from some of your software vendors. Oh, no, we knew about that. <laughs> That's a known error. That will get fixed in the next release. Uh, there are situations where it doesn't make business sense to fix every error that occurs, but it does make business sense to know about them and define them and use that as a method for capturing data related to are there going to be on, ongoing issues with this. The more people that complain about it, the more likely I'm going to invest in a long-term fix for it. And that's where the long-term fix comes in with error control. It's preparing the resolution of the, the full-time error with a request for change. So you close that loop again with the change request, going back to close out the problem. If that all worked fine, then you'll also close out the problem, close out the incidents and all related items. My favorite bit of proactive of problem management is the proactive side where you actually get to take uh, your, own, uh, your own investigations, your own follow-up, your own uh, problem reviews, the data from problems that you've had in one area and transfer those or utilize those and apply those elsewhere within the organization. Uh, think of the concept of uh, you have a, a bad firmware build or something on a server and it takes down the server. How many more of those servers do you have? that have the same firmware build that you can go out and find using your configuration management database and proactively fix the firmware on those without waiting for them to fail. So the biggest, the biggest benefit for me of problem management is actually taking that preventative action to go out and look for things that might be wrong based on the huge amount of knowledge that we all have as to what's going wrong within the infrastructure. You've been listening to part two of ITIL in a Heartbeat presented by Bill Irvine. Please join us for the continuation of this Pink Podcast next week. Thank you for joining us for today's Pink Podcast. Go to www.pinkelephant.com to find out more about our products, including Atlas, our knowledge database with hundreds of example documents and templates for your IT management best practice projects. Mm-hmm.